Welcome to The Heart Zone, featuring George Cannon. This broadcast is a time of teaching and encouragement from Kerwinsville Christian Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. And now for a message from The Heart Zone. Here's George Cannon. Let me ask you a question before we uh, get right into our passage kind of relates to our passage a little bit. But how's your week been? Have you had a good week? Or have you had a rotten week? You know, some of you may be having a rotten week and nobody would know that because as far as what people see on the outside, everybody thinks you're just having a normal week. But on the inside, maybe you're an emotional mess. Maybe you're stressed out. Maybe you are, you're just struggling. And we have a good way of covering that up, don't we? Do you understand what I'm saying? We're all actors. We should give each other Oscars here. The reality is, is how's your week been? Things going okay? Are there struggles? Are there difficulties? Now, why am I asking that question? Well, because in the midst of what we go through during the week, the struggles that we face, the frustrations, the anger issues, the difficulties, the situations that we sometimes feel like there's no hope of it ever changing and so forth, you begin to to develop a concept of God that is skewed. Our view of God is affected by how our week goes. I'm just going to be honest with you. Whether you realize it or not, you could sit there and have proper doctrine, have your theology of God down, and you think you know everything there is, and, and you could say, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm an evangelical, Bible-believing, I, I got my right view of God here, but then you're weak actually will determine more about what you view about God than all the stuff you know. Do you you realize that? Because you can have all the right knowledge about God, but you have a bummer of a week, and you begin to question God. You begin to, to ask questions about God. Are you really there for me? God, do you really care for me? God, do I really matter? God, do you even see what's going on in my life? Do you, do you understand what I'm talking about? How many of you know what I'm talking Say, yeah, okay, now raise your hand. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, I see what you're saying. You said, okay, I, yeah, what has that got to do with Luke? What has that got to do with what we're about to read? Because we're going to look at five verses today. What has that got to do? Well, what we're going to see here today is, is that we're going to see an interchange where some Pharisees come up to Jesus and they give him a warning. And Jesus then says kind of ignores the warning and says what his purpose is. And ultimately he's going to talk about his purpose in going to Jerusalem, which is ultimately meaning he's going to go to the cross. And he said, okay, what has that got to do with me and my week, George? What's that got to do with the junk that I'm facing? What's that got to do with my view of God? Well, what I want you to see is, is that for a lot of us, You don't need to be skewed in your thinking about God. You need to rest on something else. Don't rest in your feelings. Don't even rest in your experiences. Because all of that will deceive you. And it will deceive you concerning who God is. Because I want you to see a picture of a God here who is not affected by how we feel. Have you noticed that? To to be honest with you, if we go by our feelings... Some of you wouldn't even be here this morning because you just didn't feel like coming. Feelings, they're, you know, feelings are too manipulative, too, too, too 
too flaky, to be honest with you. Do you realize that? We're all flakes. The reality is, is that we need to grasp a bigger perspective. We need to grasp a bigger purpose, and that's Jesus' purpose. So let's look at these verses, and then we're going to see what it says to us today. And hopefully it will give you strength, especially in light of your week. Look with me. Verse 31. On that very day, some Pharisees came to him saying, Get out and depart from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, Go tell that fox, Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today, and tomorrow in the third day I shall be perfected. Nevertheless, I must journey today, tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish outside of Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I've wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. But you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. And assuredly, I say to you that you shall not see me until the time comes when you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We're going to basically break down this, these few verses here into three sections. We're going to look, first of all, the human perspective. I think a lot of us can relate to that in a moment here, as I assure you, the human perspective from this passage. Then we're going to see his determination. We're going to see the determination of Jesus here that comes out of this passage. And then we're going to see his heart. Now, what I want to do with this is, is we're going to get a bigger picture of who Jesus is and about the control that he has and his purpose But from that, I want to bring that down to you in your everyday week. Because we just said, how's your week going? And for a lot of you, it's not going good. And I just said that your view of God is going to be skewed by your feelings and how your week's going. And what we need to do is be brought back to what the Bible says and get a bigger picture of who Jesus is. So let's look, first of all, the human perspective. Here's what's going on. First of all, we understand that Jesus is journeying towards Jerusalem. He's not in Judea yet. He's more than likely in Galilee or Perea. And some Pharisees come to him, verse 31, and they warn him, saying, you need to get out of here because Herod is going to try to kill you. Now, the Herod he's talking about is not Herod the Great. It's Herod Agrippa. It's a son of Herod who actually isn't a king. He's a tetrarch. He's just an administrator over an area Because Rome is actually the greater power, and Rome gave this area of Galilee and Perea to Herod Agrippa to oversee, to to rule, so to speak. So he's a ruler, but he's not a monarch, so to speak. And they come along and they say to him, you need to get out of here because Herod Agrippa wants to kill you. He wants to get rid of you. And probably the chances are Herod did want to get rid of him, because in that day you got rid of anybody who would be a threat to your kingdom. But I want you to see something here. These Pharisees aren't doing it out of the kindness of their heart. They're not really concerned about Jesus' well-being and telling him to leave by warning him about Herod. They actually have something else in mind. And so what I want you to see is, here's the first point, their perspective, their human perspective is, is that Jesus can be manipulated. What they're actually trying to do here is scare Jesus. Because they don't like him. 
They don't want him teaching the message of repentance. They don't want him teaching the things that he's been teaching. Because remember, what's he? who's he number one coming in conflict with, folks? We've already seen it. Whenever he's had an argument with somebody, who's it been with? The Pharisees. Because he's been pointing out through his messages, especially if you've seen this in chapter 12 and 13, how wrong they are. And so now they're going to be kind and say, hey, you need to get out of here because King Herod wants to kill you? No, no, they're trying to manipulate him because they want him out of the picture. They want him to leave. And so they think they can manipulate him. Folks, that's just like you and I, isn't it? Even today, if you've got a skewed view of God, you and I can enter into a place where we think we can manipulate God. How do we do that? Well, I'll give you an example from my life. Every once in a while, if I'm not thinking right, I can get into a mode because I'm running by my feelings rather than by what's truth. And I can get into the mode where I can believe that I can manipulate God. So here's how it will go. God, I really need your help in this area. God, and I really think you need to help me because look at what I just did for you. God, I did this for you. You should help me out in this area. That's one form of manipulation. Here's another form. God, I really need you to help me do this. If you do this for me, Lord, I'll do this for you. I'll slow down in traffic, Lord. I'll help that little old lady at Walmart with her cart. God, I'll do these things for you. And we get to the place where we manipulate him. Here's another way you'll do it. Here's, here's what we'll do. This is a George Cannon thing to do. Because I'm always thinking, I'm, I'm very cognitive, very intellectualizing things. Here's what I'll do. I'm going to go to prayer later. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, I'm going to pray this way to God. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to approach Him this way. I'm going to, I, this is what I do. You're laughing. You do it too. And I'm going to ask Him this way how to do this. And if He doesn't answer that, then I'm going to present it this way. And we sit there, and all that is, can I be honest, what is it? Manipulation. Because we think we can manipulate God. Have you seen how that works? Husbands and wives, have you seen how that works? You all of a sudden, you want something from your spouse, so now you're different in the house. The honeydew list starts to get worked on. But they see right through it, don't they? And they'll say, what do you want? Yeah, here's the thing. Don't you think God sees through it? This is what they're doing, folks. They think that God can be manipulated. You said, okay, what does that got to do with my week, George? What's that got to do with my view of God being skewed by my feelings? Listen, folks, if you think that God can be manipulated, you're going to have a wrong view of him during the week when you face the junk you're facing. And here's what's going to happen. Because you think he can be manipulated, first of all, he can't. When he doesn't answer you, guess what you're going to be? Disappointed and angry. So here they are. Jesus can be manipulated. That's their perspective. Why? Their motive is self-serving. They're not interested in him. They're not interested in, in making sure that he's alive. They're not interested in making sure that he's okay. They want him out of the picture. Why? Because what's happening is, is when Jesus speaks, what he's saying is at attacking the control that they have over the people. When he speaks, he's revealing their hearts. They don't want that to happen because they want everybody to think they're okay. 
So rather than dealing with the real problem, which is themselves, they want to deal with the assumed problem, which is Jesus. So let's get him out of here. So hey, Jesus, Herod's trying to kill you. You better run. When you think about the manipulation that we do with God, let's just be honest with you. When, when I'm sitting there and contemplating my prayer time and how I'm going to approach him, like, think about how dumb I am. Like, he's right there with me. Do you think he's not hearing or thinking what I'm knowing my thoughts? I mean, come on. I might as well have that prayer time right then. What's going on is my motives are self-serving. It's all about me and what I want. My selfishness. See, that's a human perspective. The human perspective is, is that we're selfish. Now turn to your neighbor and say to them, you're selfish. Go ahead, turn to them. You're selfish. Some of you are feeling really good about that because you've wanted to tell somebody else that. And you know that if you did, you were going to get in trouble. But now George has let you do that, okay? But that's the human perspective, folks. That's the human perspective. But I want you to see how Jesus Jesus responds to it. And, and how he responds to it is it's not, oh, yeah, give me a break. No, no, he, he responds to it by showing his purpose, his determination. And that's what we're going to focus on. We're going to focus now on his determination. But he also doesn't just show his determination. He reveals his heart. And this should help you. So let's look, first of all, at his determination. Look with me. Verse 32, he says this. Go tell that fox. He's talking about Herod here. Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow and the third day I shall be perfected. Here's the first thing I want you to notice. He knows us. First of all, he knew the manipulation that's going on with these folks. He knew what their, their, their purpose was. He also knows Herod. He also knows Herod Agrippa. He refers to him as a fox. Now, what does that mean? Fox, it's very interesting. In, in the ancient culture, especially in the, in, in the Old Testament, the fox would denote two things. Number one, it would denote that he was sly and crafty. And if you know anything about I, in fact, I was just reading a book of history from that period, and they said Herod Agrippa was probably one of the slyest rulers to ever exist. In fact, he ruled for 30 years. And that's pretty significant for a guy in that period because normally you would get assassinated or removed by Rome. So this guy was pretty crafty. So Jesus knows him. The other thing is is that, and it's really a play on words here because he talks about him being a fox and then he talks about himself being like a hen who gathers the chicks. What do? How many of you like a fox in your hen house? What's he going after when he's in your hen house? The chickens, the chicks. See, he understands. See, he knows us. So let me just stop for a moment. That's the first thing some of you have got to grasp. Because, because during the week, you're going through the junk that you're going through. You're like, oh. you got this weird view of God now. Like, he doesn't love me. He doesn't care for me. Listen, you've got to write that one down. You've got to put a star by this point. He knows us. He knows us. He knows everything about you. He knows your character. He knows your dreams. He knows your disappointments. He knows the desires of your heart. He knows your defeats. He knows your feelings. Nobody else may know your feelings. Grasp me. Here, listen to me. You ever notice that when you're going through something, you don't want to share with somebody because you're like, well, nobody knows how I'm feeling. And then people will come up to you, oh, I know exactly how you're feeling. Hogwash. They don't know how you're feeling. They don't. 
He does. He knows you. First thing we see out of that passage, He knows us. Here's the other thing I want you to see. There's a divine plan. Here's what Jesus is saying to them. They're saying, you better get out of here because Herod wants to kill you. Jesus says, well, you, know, you go tell that fox, hey, today I'm casting out demons. Tomorrow and the third day, I'm going to be perfected. Now what does that mean? Perfected there means he's going to reach his perfection. What is that? He's going to go to the cross and he's going to be glorified. And he says, look, Nevertheless, I must journey to today and tomorrow and the following day, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish outside of Jerusalem. What's he saying here? Man, there's a plan you don't realize. It's my plan. And things are going according to my plan. And you need to grasp the bigger picture. Don't be sitting there thinking you can manipulate me and tell me to leave. I'm headed to Jerusalem. I'm going in obedience to my Father. There's a plan. You and I, when we go through the junk that we go through, I've got to constantly remind myself this. And what I see from this passage, Jesus is saying, you know what, you go tell that fox, I know his deal. But there's a divine plan that I'm a part of. God operates according to his plan. And I need to grasp that. And when I don't understand what's going on, and I'm defeated by what's going on, and I, I, don't, and I sense like there's no hope, I need to look to the one who is hope. Because he has a bigger plan. And I know because like Psalm 37, my favorite, favorite verse of Scripture, Psalm 37, verse 23, the steps of a good man are what? Ordered by the Lord. See, my life even fits in His plan. Your life fits in His plan. Well, you don't know what's going on in my life right now. You're right, but it still fits in His plan. And here's what it says. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and here's what it says. And He delights in them. He takes delight in your life. He's pleased with you. He finds pleasure with you. Isn't that awesome? See, this is his determination. He knows us and he has a divine plan. Now here's the other thing I want you to see there. Is that all things must be fulfilled. All things must be fulfilled. Jesus says, you know what? I'm not really worried about Herod. You go tell him. Today, I'm doing my ministry. That's the plan. Tomorrow I'm headed to Jerusalem, and on the third day I will be perfected. He's pointing to his resurrection. And what he's saying here is, is that all things must be fulfilled. So I'm not really worried about whether or not the prophet is going to be killed later on. In fact, look at verse 32. For it cannot be that a prophet should perish outside of Jerusalem. What's he saying here? There's something greater going on here, folks. I'm not really worried about Herod. Because everything has to be fulfilled. What? Prophecies. He overrules. We've got to get that. We've got to get that in order in our thinking when it comes to God. He's the one who's in control. Nobody's going to change him. In fact, that's my next point there. His course is not determined by others. Herod's not going to affect him going to the cross for you and I. He's not. All things must be fulfilled. All things must be fulfilled. You and I got to get a bigger picture here. A bigger picture than just our week and how it went. The bigger picture that we've got to have is is that God's in control and that all things are going according to the course that He's bringing them to. And that I fit into that plan. Now there's something interesting that comes out of this passage now. Because when you look at that, it's like, oh wow, you're just asking me to be intellectually, intellectually 
abstract, intellectually removed from my weak, intellectually removed from the pain in my life, intellectually removed from the pain of others. You want me to be that way? No, because I think it's interesting because then at the last part of the verse we begin to see Jesus' heart. And we begin to see Jesus' heart not just with reference to you and I who believe in him, but we see Jesus' heart with reference to those who reject him. Look with me. Look, look with me at verse 34. He says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate, and assuredly I say to you, you shall not see me till the time comes when you shall see. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Here's his heart, folks. First of all, he weeps for those who reject. You want to know the heart of Jesus? Do you want to know if he cares? Do you really want to know if he's concerned about you and that he, his heart is for you? Do you really want to know that? Because sometimes when we, we let our weak guide our thinking about God, and we let, God, let our weak skew our thoughts about God, the first thing that happens is, is we begin to think things like, well, you don't care about me. You must not love me. Isn't that true? Do you really want to know, listen to me, do you really want to know if He cares for you? Here, let, me, let me tell you how much He cares for you. Look at verse 34. Who's He talking about? Jerusalem. What does He say about Jerusalem? You who what? Kill the prophet and stone those who are sent to you. What is Jerusalem going to do to him when he comes? Put him on a cross. The passage doesn't bring it out in, in our language, but the, the sense there of woe to you. I mean, he, he is expressing heartfelt grief for them. And he says to them, how many times I have wanted to take your children, that is their people, and, and take them to, into me, bring them to me like a, like a mother hen gathers her chicks to herself. You ever seen that? What's that mama hen doing? She's just playing with them? No, she's protecting them. She, she cares for them. This, this is the point I want you to see. This is how much God loves you. If he can express that kind of love for people who are going to put him on the cross, his enemies, those who reject him, how much love does he have for you who, does, who accept him, who care for him? You know what I mean? Isn't that awesome? I mean, you think about it. If he's that concerned for those who reject. See, this, side note here. This has to come out. Let no one think that God relishes in the destruction of the wicked. The Bible tells us he doesn't. God does not relish in sending people to hell. We see it right here in this passage. That he weeps for those who reject him. So he weeps for those who reject him. Verse 35 tells us he laments their destruction. He laments their destruction. When he says that your house will stand desolate, what house is he talking about? He's not talking about the house they're living in. He's talking about the house of God there, the temple. He's saying that their house will be desolate. What's going to happen? He's reflecting that just in a few years, the temple is going to be destroyed. The Romans are going to come in and wipe everything out. He laments for them. He's not saying that, well, you know, hey, you're going to do that to me? Guess what's coming your way? No, that's not his attitude. His attitude reflects his heart. He's concerned for them. He's going to say, you know what? 
It's going to be desolate until the time they say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And he's not talking about the triumphant entry, folks. He's talking about the time when he will come back to Jerusalem. When's that? It's yet to happen. The second coming. The future. See, he laments for them. See, if he laments for his enemies, do you think he's concerned for you? Do you? See, if you operate by your feelings, though, it's going to happen. But if you understand truth and the reality of who he is, you realize, man, he does care for me. You say, okay, George, how do we, how do we bring this down? How do we apply this to our life? Well, I'm going to give you two thoughts, and then I'll give you an action point for this week. What's, what's your view of Jesus? Is he somebody who can be manipulated by you? If you just do the right things? If you just say the right words? Say the right prayer? Just word your prayer perfectly? I mean, that's what I do. I'm going to say this to him. Come on, I've been saved 25 years. You think I'd get over that? What's your view of Jesus? Is your view of Jesus based upon how your week's going? So it's okay, you've you got a good view of Jesus this week, but let's be honest, next week's coming, and it might be a bad week. And So if your view of Jesus is based upon how your week's going, you're going to have a bad view of Jesus next week. What's your view of him? Is it based on your feelings, or is it based upon what he reveals about himself from his truth? And what have we seen here? We have seen here that, number one, he's determined to go and do what it takes for you and I. He went to the cross for us. Number two, he's even concerned to the point of tears for those who reject him. So do you think he loves you? Is that an awesome thought? So what's your view of him? Which brings me to my next question. Are you rejecting him? Are you rejecting him? We say, oh, I accept him, Jesus. I, I accept Jesus. He's my Savior. No, no, I understand that, but are you rejecting him? Because you, know, you could say you're a Christian and accept him as Jesus, but if he's not doing what you want... He's not bringing about what you think should be happen. There, there is a form of rejection. And I've heard many people say over the years in pastoring, well, if he would allow that in my life, I don't want to have anything to do with him. Are you rejecting him? Because I'm going to be honest with you, sometimes the rejection that we have towards him comes out of a faulty line of thinking concerning him. And especially it's going to be faulty if you allow your weak to dictate what your view is of Jesus. So are you rejecting him? So then, okay, George, what do we do with this message during this week? Well, let's apply it this way. Submit to Jesus every area of your life this week, folks. Submit to Jesus every area of your life. Don't let your life be dictated by your feelings. Don't let your life be dictated by the next crisis that comes. The reason why you're going to be able to face the crisis is because you have a right view of Him. If you let the crisis dictate your view of him, you're not going to make it through it. You understand what I'm saying? In fact, think of it this way. I am so glad that God cannot be manipulated. You want to know why? Because after a while, if you can manipulate people, continually manipulate them, manipulate them, manipulate them, you lose respect for them. Do you know what I mean? You begin to lose respect for those that you can manipulate continually. And the fact that God cannot be manipulated in itself demands respect from us, doesn't it? Because he's someone who cares for us and loves us, but he's not going to give in to our every whim. 
So isn't there somebody awesome to submit your life to? Because he knows what's best for us. And he's got a plan for us. Folks, grasp that. He's got a plan for you. He wants to use you where you are. So submit yourself to him. Thank you for being with us this morning. And we trust that today's message has been both challenging and an encouragement to your heart. At Kerwinsville Christian Church, a warm welcome is always extended to you. We're located at 700 State Street, Kerwinsville, Pennsylvania. For more information about our ministry, please visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. Now, on behalf of George Cannon and the entire church family, we hope that you will look to the Heavenly Father in all that you face this coming week.